Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. But really, it's good to see you all this evening. I'm excited to preach the Word of God. Why don't we stand together? We're going to read Scripture. Galatians chapter 6 is where we're at. If you're new to Life Changes... We stand here as just a, as a symbolic moment just to recognize that actually we gather not because of the name of a church or we don't gather because there's a great preacher or an average preacher or any other reason. We come because we believe that the Word of God is power to change our lives. And I pray that today, tonight as you stand as we read the Scripture together, open your heart wide because I believe the Word of God is powerful and effective and it wants to do a deep work with all of us. Everyone okay with that? Let's read. It's from the NIV version. I'm going to start reading. It says this, brothers and sisters, that's you and me. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, for you or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with the instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's pray. This evening, Father, we gather with joy in our hearts as we have seen the demonstration of what you can do with a life when you take somebody from the old and you make them new as they become new creations. I thank you, Jesus, tonight. We, we open our hearts wide to say, Jesus, would you do some, your, some of your amazing transformative work in my heart too? Thank you, Father God. We lean in now and find that you've been leaning into us all along. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat? Say hi to someone on the way down. It's really good to be together in church. A few years ago, I went, I had the privilege of going on a missions trip. We left Cape, I left, uh, I used to live in Durban, we left Durban and went on a four-day journey up through Southern Africa, all the way up to the Democratic Republic of Congo. My good friend Nathan, nice to see you again. That's his homeland. And we arrived there and there was a scene that I found that was so amazing in the center square of this, of this town that we have visited. There was a, a big statue in the middle, right in the middle of the center of the square of Joseph Kabila, the nation's... Um, deliverer, the man who came and set the nation free from their colonial oppressors. He had brought independence to this nation, and it's a statue that it has of Joseph Kabila with his arms raised, holding one broken chain in this hand and one broken chain in this hand, declaring freedom as a nation. It's a picture that if you've been into mo- many uh, African nations, you would see that they have similar statues declaring the, 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 the independence of their different uh, nation deliverers who stand up saying, we're free, we're free from colonialism, we're free from, from the, the bonds of our past, we are free as a nation, we found independence. But here's the sad truth that I've realized, as I've, as, and as this might be an, a generalization, but if you look at the trend across Africa, that these nations have been set free by a, a liberator, but liberators make bad nation builders. 
You see, liberators often bring people into freedom, but they aren't great at leading people into what that freedom looks like on a daily basis. So what happens too often, and I believe it's not just a political problem, it's actually a problem in our hearts and in the, in, in the church as well, because for this whole series, Galatians chapter 1 through 5, we've been pre- preaching a week in and a week out that Jesus plus nothing is freedom. That alone is true freedom. And we've been declaring, we sing it tonight, we declare it again and again from this pulpit that we are free as sons and daughters of God. But the problem is, if we don't know what we're free into and how to live free, we're going to be just like those liberators holding our chains, but not really ever leaving them behind. Well, I believe, I've seen this in my life too often, that I've found myself being in this spiritual state where I've been in the prison doors, the prison doors have been opened by Jesus Christ, but I'm standing there not knowing how to actually outwalk this freedom. Tonight, I believe as we lean into what Paul is saying, the writer Paul to the Galatians in chapter 6, we're in a hinge moment where he's taking, he's been preaching for five chapters to this Galatian church and to our hearts that actually he's been calling us out of the cage of legalism. He's been calling us out of the, 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 the swamp of licentiousness and saying actually for, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. I want to just tell you before we leap into chapter six tonight that any promised freedom that has a hangover attached to it is no freedom at all. What I mean by that, religion will promise you freedom and say, Christ is good, but actually live, live a certain way. Do this, do this, do this, and then you can also be free. But that freedom will always come with the, the attachment, the hangover of anxiety, fear, and doubt. Because you'll always be asking, have I done enough? Have I measured up completely? Have I done enough to fulfill the requirements of me? Am I completely free? You'll always live in anxiety. On the other side, the other parade of freedom that masquerades as freedom is this, this thing of license where you say, I'm free to do whatever I want. The problem with this freedom is it comes with a hangover, sometimes a, a physical hangover, but also a metaphorical hangover of guilt and shame. Any freedom that comes with a hangover is no freedom at all because Christ comes and he says, actually, it is for freedom that I have come to set you free. And this is what we've been preaching. And chapter six tonight is the transition where we actually, Paul starts saying, you've been set free. Now I want to show you practically, chapter six is the practical application of this theology, how we live free as a community. And I believe tonight as we lean into these three points out of these 10 verses, that if we start to embrace these postures, embrace these these points, that I'm going to hear the sound of chains being dropped tonight. As men and women who've been set free by Jesus are going to drop chains and say, actually, now I know how to walk this freedom out. You all good for that? Everyone good? Give me a wave. It's good. Sunday night. Going to make our way through. Good. Thank you very much. Three points this evening. So how we can press into this freedom that will benefit those around us because our freedom is only freedom when it benefits people around us. Good word, Gabe. Thank you. The three points are this. Number one, from this text this evening, it will appear on the screen behind us, is serve, don't sabotage. Serve, don't sabotage. Let me explain it from the text. In verse 1 of chapter 6, it reads this. It says, If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Interesting verse. If anyone is caught in a sin. Now, the the, the commentators say that word caught can get us into trouble. Because that word caught doesn't mean if someone is caught in a sin as if they're being caught by a sin detective. No, someone goes, ha ha, I caught you. Got him. Appealing to the umpire. How's that? He's out. Got him. No, that's not what the scriptures are trying to say because that's what the Pharisees did in John chapter 8, those peeping toms who found the woman and caught her in the act of adultery. We got her! And they dragged her before Jesus. 
that's not what the scripture is meaning. The meaning here says, if anyone is caught in a sin, the word caught there refers to actually caught as if they're in a trap. They're caught in a trap and they cannot get free. That's my, my miming of being caught in a trap and it's also a new dance move that I've been working on. So I'll let you guys know that. That's for free. But the scriptures actually tell, the commentators say, actually, if someone's caught as if in a trap in their sin and they are drowning in their sin, someone you should restore them. That means you should save them from their drowning. That's what the scriptures are saying. Use your freedom in this way. And these are two implications for us. If we are going to serve people's futures and not sabotage their futures in Jesus Christ with our freedom, I'm going to give you two imperatives of this. Number one, A, is that we are called, we are called to call people out of their sin. Call them out on it. If you want to take notes, it's a good time to take these down. These are helpful things. Call them out on it. We're called to serve people's futures, but not sabotage them. You see, here's the understanding. It's too often, I've been guilty of this, and I think we, uh, many of us will probably echo the same sentiment, is that so we see someone who's caught in the grip of sin, caught in the grip of fear, caught in the grip of something, a trap they're drowning in, they can't get out of. But we say, we're, we're so nervous to address it, that we just keep quiet and we walk around it. Because we say, actually, I, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to irritate them. I don't want to hurt them. But in reality, what we're doing is we're protecting ourselves and we're sabotaging their future. If you want to serve someone's future, you'll call them out on their sin because it means that they'll get set free into a greater future. I'm going somewhere with this. Everyone all right? You see, that happened for me in this way. I grew up, I know some of this will shock you. I know some of you know me. I'll be like shocked, and I can imagine there's going to be a gasp that will follow after this confession here. I used to be a very angry redhead. Thank you. There was the gasp. <gasps> no, not you, Gabe. Yeah, it was true. I was the stereotypical, the red, the red mist. You know, I would get red in the face. I'll get angry quickly. It started with a, a, an anger at Liverpool Football Club for never ever winning games. She so throw the cushion dramatically across the, the lounge floor. But then it also moved on and got a little bit more aggressive at times as a young teenager, as I used to get, if anyone had a different opinion, I would fight them on that opinion. Sometimes I didn't even agree with my opinion. I would just fight them for the sake of it. I got angry and offensive, and, and often I would use the disclaimer, I'm not angry, I'm just passionate. It's who I am, man. Until one day a friend who loved me enough not to let me get away with that excuse came and said, Gabe, you know what? You come across very angry. I was like, no, 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 man. I'm just passionate. It's, it's, no, I'm ready. That's what I am, man. Eh? And the guy said, no, 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 Gabe. You come across angry and it makes people uncomfortable. And I think it's going to disqualify you from your future. You don't want to be known as an angry man. You're a kind guy. You don't want to be known as angry. Do you know what I did to that response? I got angry. <laughs> I said, I am not angry. And I walked away stomping. And I was not happy. And I wrestled with it for ages going, how dare that person? Who does he think he is? And, and I started thinking, you know what? I can go back to him and I'll tell him some of his problems. They're much more obvious than my anger. Anyone thought like that before? And I, and I was like, I wanted to, everything in me wanted to go and answer back until I realized maybe I am. And this guy, I thank God for him because this man had the courage to serve my future and not sabotage it. If he just kept quiet, in effect, he was not just ignoring it, he was sabotaging my future and shortchanging what I was to walk into. And I praise God that there was one man who had the courage to call me out on that. And I believe I'm a work in progress, and I, and I, but I believe God is dealing with this thing in my heart of anger, and I've become more softer and gentler. And I want to be known as a kind man. And I thank God because of a brother who called me out of my sin. I was caught in a trap of anger, but he saved me from drowning. 
This is how this thing works. Because I want to tell you right now that the sin you're in is killing you. And it's like a weight that's drowning you. And imagine if you're in this ocean and you're drowning in the ocean. And as a, a, a liner came past and you went, help, help. Imagine the liner going past, waved and said, I love you, brother. It's beautiful. Help. Yeah, Beatles song. Great. Some of you don't know the Beatles. Anyway. And, and they waved and, wave and said, I love you. And as he waved and gulped and went under the ocean and said, yes, I love that guy so much. None of us would agree that's love. The problem is, in the church, in the, in the Christian church around the world, we've bought into this lie that love looks like something that we tolerate everything. We never call out anyone. We just wave and say, that's okay. Your truth is your truth. It's okay. Do whatever you want. But actually, when, they are, when they're drowning, our job is to save people. Call them out on it. But here's the implication for you and I. If we're going to be people who call them out on it, we have to learn to tame our tongue. What I mean by that is if you can't speak to them directly, I want to say you're not allowed to speak about them at all. Let me say it again. If you can't address the sin directly to the person, then you're not allowed to, direct, to speak about it at all to anyone else. Because we do that in the church. I've done that many times. We see somebody caught in a, in a trap of sin, of a habit, of, a, of, a, of an attitude, something that's not helpful. And what we'll do is we won't speak to them, but we'll go to someone else and say, yo, Gabe is an angry man. We should pray for him. Yeah, let's pray. And we call it that. But it's actually gossip. It's actually sabotaging a man's future, not serving, because we don't have the guts to speak to him face to face. I want to confess again that I haven't been, dramatic pause, haven't been great at this often. So much so that I, I was walking with my wife the other day, and I want to tell you, if you want to know who knows me the best, it's my wife, you know, because everyone sees me up front here, but my wife knows what happens at home. You can fool the people. You can never fool your wife. It's a helpful thing. So helpful, God's gift to us. But I'm walking with her and I was doing well, I think. I was in a good space with God. I was feeling uh, full of the evangelistic fervor and I had been preaching well and I'd been kind at home. I'd done the dishes a few times. And I was in a good, I was doing well, you know, and we were walking and I thought, you know, I was setting myself for, uh, for a compliment. I said, Fee, I just love you to speak into my life, you know. We're walking. Just tell me, wh wh what am I, am I doing well? And I'm expecting her to go, Gabe, you are a dream come true for me. It's a privilege to be married to you. I'm, 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 I'm expecting this. You know, this I'm like, you know, you set yourselves up. Tell me how amazing I am. But you do it in a humble way, so it seems humble. Anyone know this one? It's a good trick. And I set myself up, and I thought she was going to say, Gabe, you're an amazing father. You're amazing. I just, you're just incredible. I just thought this, she's going to go with these ones. But as we walk, without skipping a beat, Fiona didn't follow the script I'd given her. She said, Gabe, you're a people pleaser. And she walked off. Doof, 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 doof. Leaving me in my tracks back here, stunned, like, dude, like, I can't believe it. And again, you know, the, everything rises up saying, what? How dare she say that? And, 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 I, and I yelled up, you, you sure? You think so? You think I'm a people pleaser? <laughs> Which just emphasized the fact that I was a people pleaser. But this is the understanding, and so much so, this had gripped my heart that actually I had become nervous. She said, this is limiting your leadership because you become nervous. You want to be liked more than you wanting to love people. Subtle thing. It crept in my heart that I actually wanted everyone to like me so that sometimes I would avoid tough conversations where I'd have to call people out of their trap because I didn't want them to dislike me. There are so much so that I was protecting myself while they were drowning. And it looks like love, but I'm actually sabotaging their future, not serving it. This is how we use our freedom, that actually I am learning that I'm free from the opinions of man. 
I don't have to please man because I'm pleased by my, fa- my father's pleased with me. So I can serve people's futures. So I can call them out because I'm not worried if they'll like me or not because I care more about their freedom than my, their opinion of me. Helpful. But here is the understanding. Scripture doesn't just give us the one implication of call them out on it. It goes further. Verse 2 says this. It says, bear or carry one another's burdens. The message says, stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Here's the second implication. Number one, we have to call them out on it. But number two, we have to pull them out of it. Call them out and pull them out. Because this is the understanding is that if we don't, we're not allowed to call them out on it if we don't have the attitude and willingness to pull them out of it as well. It's a subtle understanding, but we need to get it because this is the, the implication of Scripture that we're called to enter the mess of those around us. We're not called to walk around it. We're not called to have opinions about it. We're called to enter it because you see the Pharisees, the religious people of the day that angered Jesus so much did this with the story of the Good Samaritan. They saw the Good Samaritan bloodied and broken on the side of the road and what they do? Walked around it. And I can imagine the Pharisee, the Levite, they went that day, they said, we can't stop because we're on our way to a prayer meeting. They got to church and said, brothers, today on my way here, I saw a man on the side of the road bleeding. We need to pray for him. What type of Christianity is that? We're called to enter the mess and bear the burden with people. Jesus said it about the Pharisees. He says, the Pharisees put greater loads on people, but do nothing to help them. We're not called to be those people. I've shared the story many times here, but years ago, for time's sake, I'll get to the crux of it. I was, I was in the grip of pornography, and there came a moment in a church meeting where I got the microphone, and I confessed my addiction to pornography. And in that moment, as the grace of God came and ripped out this addiction out of my heart, I felt incredibly free, but equally incredibly vulnerable. Because in that moment, I thought, I'm never going to get a girlfriend in this church. I'll be honest, that's what I thought. My mind is funny. In a super spiritual moment, that is what I thought. And it was true. I never did get a girlfriend in that church. That's why I moved to Cape Town. (laughs) Married. Anyway. But here's the the understanding. In that moment, the moment the keyboard was playing and I confessed it, people were like, that's amazing. God is doing things. The keyboard stopped playing eventually. And everyone just went to buy a coffee. And I'm that awkward guy who just confessed stuff. I'm like, wow, it's not that spiritual anymore. And it's awkward, and you just notice the girls aren't looking in the eye, like, hey, Gabe, nice, really cool, man. It's like, whoa, flip. I thank God that there was a friend in that moment. This is what happened. I confessed it, and I had a friend who walked alongside me. Every time he saw me after that moment, he would come up to me and say, Gabe, how are you doing walking free from that pornography thing? He would ask me. He called me out on it. But here's the amazing thing. He didn't just challenge me on it. Every time he would say, I'm so proud of you. You're a radical man. He started to call me on my future, and he started to remind me of who I was in Christ. You're not an addict. You know you're the righteousness of God. You're a man who's called by God. You've got a future, so stand firm. I'm with you. I'm praying for you. This was a mate who didn't just call me out of my sin, but he entered into my mess and said, I'm going to carry the burden with you. That's what true community does. What we use, we are free to do this to one another. It's beautiful. This is what community is. I want to land this point by helping us understand that no person has ever become bigger by making someone else feel smaller. Let me say it again. No person has ever become bigger by making someone else feel smaller. Small people make people feel small. I think in, in church, we've, we've, we, we're not the judge, jury, and executioner where we're pointing out people saying, you're a sinner. No, you're a sinner. Let me tell you about your sin, and then we stand back. No, we actually say we, we're all sinners, 
And I want to help you in your journey find freedom because we, we are on a journey towards freedom together. And we bear, bear one another's burdens. That is what we're called to do and call the greatness out of one another because we see their future. We'll serve their future. We'll come low. What serving means is to go lower. Too often we want to come and stand above people and try to call them out. But the scripture says that we, Jesus came and did this and he went lower for us. Can I ask us, can we be a people, use our freedom to serve people and not sabotage their future? Number two, everyone okay? The scripture tells us, these 10 verses, secondly says, use your freedom to sow, don't steal. Sow, don't steal. Let me explain, sowing is a biblical and agricultural principle where you lay down seed for a future reward. Farmers do this. And they get seed at the beginning of the season, and they sow the seed. They throw the seed in the ground. They cover it up. And I can tell you my temptation would be to come the next day and go, nothing. Where's the crop? Nothing. Oh, generation that needs it immediately now. We want that gratification now. The next day come and go, nothing. No seeds. This, does these seeds work? Any farmer worth his salt will know you put the seed in the ground. You have to wait till harvest time, and then there'll be a crop. So sowing is putting seed in the ground and trusting that one day in the future you'll, re you'll receive a crop from it. Stealing is taking today what was meant for the future. Stealing is reaching the future, something of the reward that's in the future and saying, I want it now. I want to appeal to us, to you and to me tonight, say let's be people who sow into our futures and not steal from it. Because when you, let me say it this way, when you say no to your flesh, you're saying yes to your future. Scripture tells us that when you say no to your flesh, you say yes to your future. A few years back when I just got married, I, I started to learn this amazing thing of a home-cooked meal. It had been a mystery for, to me for years since I left my mom's house. I'd been living on uh, garage food and, 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 and cold pies. You know, that's what I did. And Pringles, if, if things were really going well. But after one day, long day at church, we've been at church all day. My wife had gone home ahead of me, and she, she gave, sent me a message saying, Gabe, I put your nice home-cooked meal with just full of goodness. It's in, the, it's in the microwave. Enjoy when you get home. And I was like, oh, so I was salivating, just thinking about it. I got in the car, but on my way route home, I had to go past the McDonald's. And you know, the, the, the temptation is going, oh, yeah, just as quick and easier. Just pull in. Just say, hey, I'll have a Big Mac, medium Mac meal with upsized chips and upside Coke. They'll get it, and I'll eat it. It's that quick. It's actually quite cheap these days. You start rationalizing it. But we all know the truth that no matter how nice the picture looks, once it's gone in here, you never feel great after a Big Mac, medium Mac meal. You're like, why did I do that? Why? Can I get an amen? Oh, preach it, brother. But this is the understanding for you and me that actually for me to say no to McDonald's was for me to receive a greater reward at home. The home-cooked meal. I said no for the, and to, I didn't want to steal from my future. So by me saying no, I was sowing not to the flesh so I could reap a greater reward. And this is the implication and this understanding is that it's not a no that was motivated by fear. I didn't say no because I was scared my wife might give me a big clap when I got home because she, I had McDonald's breath and wouldn't eat her meal. It only happened once or twice. But generally speaking, it wasn't a no that was motivated by fear. It was a no that was motivated by an expectation of greater joy. It was a no motivated by greater expectation of joy. I want to say this strongly this evening. That it filters into our culture and we say these things. We say, are we dating? And we're going to get married so it's okay for us to sleep together. Because we're going to get married anyway. 
Can I be as bold to say, sir, ma'am, you're stealing from your future. You're taking a greater reward that God is stewarding and going to say, marriage, sex and marriage of great joy and intimacy in that place, but you are reaching into a future and stealing instead of saying no and sowing into a great future. That one's just for free. So I'll bring that up. I want to ask you, what are you sowing? We said it a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday night, said to resist the drift, you have to embrace the chase because the understanding is we're not just saved just to say no. We know that. The scripture here in Galatians 6 doesn't just give us the negative, what not to do. It actually tells us what to do. It says, don't sow into the flesh, sow into the spirit. It gives us what to do. And I want to tell you, the, when, you learn to start, when you start saying yes to the spirit, the no's become easy. I told the story and I'll say it again, that for me, when I get home and I say to Fee, I say, Fee, you know that I love you. My wife goes, thanks, Gabe, that's, that's great. And I say, you know, how I lo- you know that I love you, Fee? She says, how? Tell me. And I go, because I said no to every other girl today. High five. This, you, you, anyone who knows, this, that's not going to go down too well. It's not the most romantic thing, romantic thing. It's never found its way on a Hallmark greeting card. I love you because I said no to everyone else. It just doesn't ring true. Actually, for me to say no, for me to prove my love for Fiona, and for me to become easy to say no to everyone else, is for me to pursue her, for me to fall in love with her, for me to, for me to love my girl, my queen, and to serve her, and to pour my life out for her, lay my life down. As I fall more in love with her, than saying no to everyone else is so easy. That's what Jesus called sowing in the Spirit. It's a poor metaphor that falls short, but sowing into the Spirit, when we sow strategically and, and emphatically into the Spirit, saying no to the flesh becomes easy. If you want two practicals of sowing, very quickly, before we lean into our third and final point, is that I want to encourage you. The, Jesus gives us two incredible tools of sowing, reading the Word and prayer. Why? Because I'm an ADHD guy who wants instant gratification now. Reading the Bible sometimes in the morning, I open up the scripture, maybe I'm, I'm the only one here, but I read it and I go, okay, cool, and I read, 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 and I go, I got nothing out of that. I don't know what it's saying to me. I should have gone on Twitter instead and got a, or I should have followed a, a, a combi behind, they've got the stickers with really inspi- inspirational quotes, it would have got me going better. I've read the scriptures and it did nothing inside of me, but that's the problem. I've realized too long I've been reading the word of God as if it's an ATM that I have to make a quick withdrawal from. But actually, when we understand a sowing mentality, every time we read the word, we're making a deposit for a future reward. That's what the word of God is. It changes the way, the lens you read it. Yes, God will still speak to you every day. Yes, he will speak and encourage you. But when you start understanding, I'm sowing the word, I'm going to reap a harvest in the future. Because he's faithful to his word. Prayer is the same. Spending 20 minutes in prayer, you walk up and down, I pray, and I pray for healing for people. I pray for provision, and I pray for breakthrough, and I pray for joy. After 20 minutes, I look around. See, no healing, no provision, no joy. I don't because I haven't seen the people. And, I, and, I, and my mind goes, I probably could have used those 20 minutes more productively. But here's the understanding. Prayer is sowing into the spirit because we cannot manipulate the results. He says, trust me and watch the future rewards. Sow in the spirit. If you want to know practical things, start sowing that you're making deposits in prayer, making deposits in the word. This is the, how we do this together. Everyone all right? Third and final point this evening, then we're done. Firstly, I said, serve, don't sabotage. Sow, don't steal. And finally, surrender, don't stop. Surrender, don't stop. It might sound 
opposed to one another. But the scripture says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. We'll reap a harvest if we do not quit. We'll reap, reap a harvest if we do not stop. I want to highlight this, this point just with two stories. There's a lady in our community who um, years ago came to chat to me and she said, Gabe, my son, who's in his, his late 20s, he, he once was walking with God, but he's walked far away from God. He's pursuing crazy things and, I, and my heart is breaking. I can't get through to him. I've tried. I've tried to talk to him and reason with him. But every time I've tried, his heart gets harder towards me and he pushes me away and he gets more and more frustrated and angry with me. And she says, I think I'm losing him. And that conversation led to him. I said, actually, you know what? I'm going to tell you, don't stop, but you must surrender. It was, like, it was like, seemed a bit opposed. And she's like, I don't fully understand. Well, actually, we're called to still do as much as we can. But when we've done what we can, we surrender and trust God. So in this story, this woman, she said, actually, what I'm going to do for her surrender look like, actually, I'm not going to have conversations and irritate him anymore. I've said what I need to say. He knows where I stand. I'm just going to pray for him faithfully. And this mom prayed for a boy. She prayed for a boy. Prayed for a boy for a number of years, seeing no results. Sowing in the spirit. Sowing, sowing, sowing. Not stopping, but, so, but surrendering to God. Saying, God, I trust you. I trust you because God cares more for him than I do. It's the good truth. The amazing story was two weeks ago, that boy, that man, I should say, walked into the back of Milnerton congregation because he phoned his mom the night before and said, Mom, for the last hundred days, he had done a hundred days where he stopped drinking for a hundred days. And he said he had done it as a, as, a, as a means to try and get himself free. And he said, I found no joy in those hundred days. It was gritting my teeth and trying to get through it. He says, as soon as I hit the hundred days, I found that I was still feeling empty. So I went out and got smashed the next night. And he said, I woke up next morning with a hangover and I still felt empty. So he phoned and tears his mom on a Saturday evening saying, Mom, I don't know what to do. Can I come to your church tomorrow? She was quivering with joy. She said, yeah, of course, of course, of course. So she phoned me. He's coming. I was like, that's great. He came to church. We preached that morning that your future is not determined by your past, and it's also not determined by your human efforts. It's not determined by your hangover, and it's not determined by your hundred days of abstinence. Your future is determined by Jesus. This guy standing there going, this is my story. He comes to the front weeping and says, I need to make a decision for Christ. I'm in. I'm in. He got baptized this morning. Can I tell you how great this is for a mom, a mom celebrating? Amazing. It's amazing. And I want to tell you, maybe it's, maybe, oh, that's circumstance. Maybe it was a great preach. I tell you it wasn't that great because I was preaching it. So no, it wasn't that great. I want to tell you it was because a mom refused to stop, but she surrendered to Jesus. And she sowed in prayer. And she served his future by not sabotaging it, but serving his future. He said, I'm going to surrender and not stop. I'll tell you one more story to make it really, really practical. Fiona and I, We've got a baby of five months old, and this thing's real, as I said at the beginning. It's quite real for us. Maybe so why I'm wide-eyed, mystified. Yeah, it's like, what's going on? She had baby measles this week. I didn't even know what baby measles were. It's full-grown measles and baby measles, very small measles. She's had them, and uh, though they're small measles, it makes her cry even bigger. She doesn't sleep. She only sleeps when you hold her. If you put it, as you, she falls asleep and you put her down, she wakes up again. So it's been a fun week. Been a fun week. And uh, everything inside me, you wake up and you see your little girl covered in spots. And I go, it's leprosy. I don't even know how we got it. Here. Is it even in Cape Town? But she's got leprosy. And I'm freaking out. We go to the doctor and the doctor says this, the most terrifying words to a parent. He says, there's nothing you can do. It's a virus. You just have to wait it out. I'm like, what? Nothing. You're going to give us anything. 
I, I must confess, I went twice to the, the pharmacy to ask if there was something I could knock my baby out with. They said no. The second time, I'm like, should we call child service? I'm like, no, I'm fine. It's, it's a struggle. Just being honest. This is church, eh? Sorry. If you need to speak to me afterwards and help me, maybe it'll be good. That's why I have a good community. Call me out, but pull me out. Anyway, but the terrifying thing was the next day after this advice from the doctor, there's nothing you can do. We wake up and the spots are darker. They're looking, they've gone all over the body and I'm going, it's getting worse. And I'm going, people should go back to the doctor. She goes, no, the doctor said we've got to wait. We just can't do anything. I'm like, should we give some medicine? What do we do? And everything inside of me is panicking. Now, I want to tell you this. I'm not an advocate for saying no wisdom. You do as much as, go as far as we can, we do as much as we can. But when we've done all that we can in our human ability, we have to learn to surrender. It's not stopping, it's not giving up, but it's trusting Him. And we've had to learn this and put what we preach into practice, saying, Jesus, I can't look after this girl anymore in terms of what I can provide for her. All I can do is I love her, I can hold her, I can stay up late with her, and I can pray for her. And it's, a real, it's just a real thing. This is the nuts and bolts of this thing called Christianity or how we use our freedom. We can either panic and go do the, the cage of legalism and say, Jesus, I need a name and claim, I promise. Jesus, I need to go and I need to go, fine, I need to do something. Have I done something wrong that's got my baby sick? Or I just go, actually, I don't care. I can't do anything anymore. Oh, woe is me. And I complain on Facebook, life sucks. My baby is sick, which I might have done. Or I can say, you know what? I'm not going to go into the cage. I'm not going to go into the swamp. I'm going to surrender and trust Jesus. This is how real this is. This is how we use our freedom. We surrender. We don't stop. I want to land with this thought that God isn't looking for the perfect. He's looking for the surrendered. God isn't looking for the perfect. He's looking for the surrendered. Surrender is a language that pleases God. It's called faith. I can't, but you can. This evening, I want to land by telling us that I've got confidence that you and I can serve and not sabotage. We can sow and not steal. We can surrender and not give up, not stop, because we have a Savior named Jesus Christ who did the same for us. Jesus came and He said, I came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came and He served our futures. He didn't sabotage our futures. He served it by saying He did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but He took on the nature of a servant. Jesus came to serve. Secondly, Jesus came and he sowed. When he saw there was no evidence of any future in our lives, we were dead, we were broken, we were sinners. Far, we were in, the Bible goes as far as it says, we were enemies of God. He didn't steal, he sowed into our future. By doing this, he came and said he died for the joy set before him. He went and endured the cross. Finally, he served, he sowed, but he also surrendered on that day in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Jesus, God, is there any other way we can do this? but not my will, yours be done. Jesus refused. The man who could have called the angels down to pull him off the cross, Jesus who could have done anything in his repertoire, he could have done anything to avoid the cross, but he said, not my will, but yours be done. He didn't give up. He surrendered. We are able, I want to tell you, I've got confidence that you and I will be able to serve, sow, and surrender because we've got a Savior who did it for us. Let's pray. Father, this evening, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is meat to our souls. Tonight, I pray for this word to go deep in our hearts and that we as a community would start to understand this is what freedom looks like. Freedom looks like serving people. 
When we're truly free, we are free of the opinions of man so we can serve people. When we're truly free, we don't have to lean into our future and rob our futures for today's pleasure. We can sow because we trust you. And we are truly free where we don't have to fight and go to our own resources. We can surrender and trust you. I thank you, Jesus, that free people are people who are free to serve, sow, and surrender. I thank you that we get to do that together as a community. This evening, chains are being dropped. As men and women see you, Jesus, beckoning them, say, would you walk with me? As the old is gone, the new has come. Behold, new creation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.